0: Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe, Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge pre-owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of... I on defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back. Uh, Episode 189. Today 7 November. Evening of 7 November. I'll try to get this knocked out. I'm not not sure how this episode is going to go. I've got a couple stuff from Israel. Um, A real interesting story on uh, the Spectre gunship. I think they call it Ghost Rider. And then some Europe stuff. I haven't done some Europe stuff for a while, so I'm not sure how long this is going to last. Maybe more than 30 minutes. I'm not sure. Usually I can kind of tell if it's going to be a long episode or a short episode. Or, But this one, I don't, I don't know how it's going to work out. So <clears throat> we'll see how it goes. We'll start off with uh, Defense Post. 7 November, first F-16 sent to Romania to train Ukrainian pilots it's from the staff. Netherlands on Tuesday. Uh, sent the first five F-16 fighter jets to Romanian Romanian airbase where the planes will be used to train Ukrainian and Romanian pilots. That's from the Dutch Ministry of Defense. The United States in August approved the transfer of Dutch and Danish, U.S.-made warplanes to Ukraine. However, the planes will only fly in NATO airspace, the ministry said in a statement. The Romanian Training Center will be the first to use the planes for a refresher course for hired instructor, instructors. Excuse me. This will be followed by pilot training. The planes will be maintained by Lockheed Martin and total the Netherlands will make eight to 12 will make eight'll make 12 to 18 f16s available for training purposes 12 to 18 f-16s that's it real short story uh, next two stories are about Poland uh, one's about uh, an air defense system they're going to work with the UK and the second one will be about an mq9 contract so here's this one defense. Breaking defense from 7 November, Lee Farron, the biggest deal yet, United Kingdom Kingdom and Polish firms ink a $4.9 billion contract for next generation air defense system. The new deal will bolster European security in the wake of Russian invasion of the Ukraine, the UK Ministry of Defense said. Major defense contractors in the United Kingdom and Poland today, 7 November, finalize a landmark $4.9 billion agreement to develop a next-generation extended-range air defense system for Poland. United Kingdom firm MBDA has signed the subcontract with the Polish defense company, PGZ, in a program that will provide Polish forces with enhanced ground-based air defense system capable of launching missiles to engage air targets such as cruise missiles, fighter jets, at ranges more than 40K. Uh, Here's a statement. Uh, The U.K said the deal will create more than 1,000 common anti-air modular modular missiles extended range, also known as CAMER, and over 100 I-launchers. In April, MBDA and the state-owned PGZ struck a similar $2.4 billion deal for a short-range air defense system, which the UK hailed at the time as the largest European short air defense acquisition program in NATO. It looks like they just beat it by $2, $2 billion. Uh, the air defense program is dubbed NARU, will be made possible in part after MBDA and PGZ conclude terms for unprecedented transfer of key technologies and knowledge from the British firm to its Polish counterpart. The signing of the deal is the latest milestone in agreement reached in 2021 between London and Warsaw for the two to cooperate on Poland's future air defense which the MBDA cam system was already selected for the program. And what does NARU mean? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Next generation extended range air defense system. I don't know how they got NARU out of that, but they did. Anyway, that's it. That's a good story. So the next uh, Poland story is Poland set to to sign MQ-9B contract. This is from uh, Breaking Defense also. Tim Martin, 6th November. Haven't done a story from him for a while. Poland expects to sign a production contract with General Atomics for the MQ-9B Sky Guardian UAV in a matter of weeks. This is according to a Polish senior military official. A plan to acquire the new aircraft was previously announced by the Polish Ministry of National Defense in October of 22 in order to replace leased MQ-9A platforms from the United States. So they're already using them. They're just leasing them. I guess they want to buy them themselves. The medium-altitude, long-endurance MQ-9A aircraft currently conduct reconnaissance missions on Poland's eastern border border, and were originally leased under urgent operational need. Uh, Here's a statement from the Polish Armed Forces. Right now, we're working on a contract with General Atomics for the MQ-9. Bravo. Uh, That comes from the deputy commander of Polish Armed Forces. Uh, now they're working on a contract. The contract will be ready in two to three weeks. It's not a big number of aircraft, but we really don't need a big number because our ISR workhorse is the Bayraktar TB2 drone. And a little bit about those that Poland has. Poland ordered 24 of the turkish May TB2s in May of 21. They received three or four delivery batches. The fourth is coming. Here's a statement from General Atomics, I think, yeah. His name is Mark Brinkley. He told Breaking Defense that any details on the status of Poland's MQ-9B order should come from the Polish government, but he noted that the leased MQ-9 fleet has logged over 1,200 flight hours and by all reports will be a welcome addition to Polish military operations. He added that Poland's MQ-9B rapid acquisition would greatly expand security across Europe, bolstered by current orders of the aircraft across the continent by Belgium and the United Kingdom. Excuse me, so there you go. There's some Europe stuff, three in a row. I can't find my pen. Oh well. Uh, Now we're going to do a follow-up. Excuse me, I'm all messed up. Uh, We're going to do a follow-up of the uh, submarine. We did this last episode that uh, CENTCOM announced that a submarine had entered their AOR, area of responsibility. They didn't say what it was, what kind of it was. We knew it was an Ohio class. We didn't know which one. But now there's information on that. This is from Tony Capaccio, Bloomberg News. We know him because whenever they do press uh, press conferences at the Pentagon, he usually has a question. And it's usually a good question, so this is him. Uh, U.S. attack submarines enters Persian Gulf and message to Iran. This is from Bloomberg. Today, uh, the Pentagon deployed the U.S. nuclear-powered USS Florida attack submarine to the Persian Gulf region as the United States makes a show of force to deter Iran. That's according to U.S. defense officials. So we now know the nuclear-powered sub is the USS Florida, and they're out of Kings Bay, Georgia, I think. Uh, The Florida's arrival is confirmed by officials after the United States Central Command posted on X, formerly Twitter, about an Ohio-class submarine in the region without specifying whether it was one of the types that carries nuclear-armed ballistic missiles. Excuse me. The USS Florida, though nuclear power does not carry nuclear weapons, it is one of four U.S. Navy submarines that are converted from carrying sea-launched nuclear missiles to Tomahawk, land attack, and commandos. Uh, the USS Florida can carry up to 154 Tomahawk missiles or as many many as 66 Navy SEAL commandos who can clandestinely leave the vessel through forward bow compartments. Uh, its deployment to the Persian Gulf is at least a second this year. The Navy in April released a photograph of the USS Florida cruising through the Suez Canal en route to the Red Sea after Mediterranean deployment. And I figured... Why not? A little bit of history of the USS Florida. Uh, Also, it's called SSGN-728. It's an Ohio-class ballistic missile submarine. It's the sixth ship in the United States Navy to be named for Florida. Uh, The contract to build her was awarded to the Electric Boat Division of General Dynamics, Groton, Connecticut, on 28 February 1975. Her keel was laid in a bicentennial... Of July 4th, uh, July 4th, 1976. How about that? The uh, 200th, year, uh, 200th uh, anniversary of independence. Uh, the boat was unnamed at the keel laying ceremony. The Secretary of the Navy named her on nineteen January 1981. Uh, she was commissioned 18 June 1983. Captain William Powell in command of the Blue Crew. And Captain G.R. Sterner in command of the Gold Crew. The only thing I take from that is the subs have two crews. Uh, one's off, one's working, one's off. Kind of a thing. Uh, both crews successfully completed the demonstration and shakedown operations, culminated by a successful launch of a Trident C-4 missile. Uh, Florida transited the Panama Canal in February and arrived in Bangor, Washington on 25 March 1984. She completed her first strategic deterrent patrol on 25 July 1984. And then she changed here. The USS Florida entered the Norfolk Navy shipyard in July of 2003 to undergo a refueling conversion from SSBN to SSGN. Uh, she completed her conversion in April of '06, and she has homeported the Naval Submarine Base in Kings Bay, Georgia. I've been down there before. Caught a lot of fish down there one summer. <clears throat> Not that anybody cares. Uh, so a little bit about that. USS Florida. Now we'll do some Israel stuff. Uh, this is from Seth Fransman, a short article from Foundation Defense Democracies, I think. We know Seth Fransman for writing, uh, for Breaking Defense. He's a columnist for those guys. Uh, here's a short, column, uh, short story, short article. Israel enters new phase of war with Gaza City now in circles, 6th November. I like this article because he kind of mentions units, and I kind of like articles like that. Uh, Israeli Defense Force succeeded in circling Gaza City the first week of the ground offensive and has now began to spread out and settle into operational areas. That includes units from two separate IDF divisions, the 36th and the 162nd. Uh, the IDF describes the activities of the 36th Division on Sunday as expanding ground operations since last week. Here's a quote. The 36th Division has operated the northern Gaza Strip and reached positions along the coast of Gaza. Uh, The role of the division is to encircle Hamas forces in Gaza City to strike and destroy select targets, including significant assets and command and control centers belonging to the Hamas terrorist organization. The 36th Division has struck 1,600 targets in Gaza since ground operations began 27 October. They have also eliminated 300 terrorists, according to the IDF. At the same time, elements of the IDF Golani Reconnaissance Unit reached the coast on 4 November after crossing from the east, essentially cutting Gaza City from southern Gaza. That means that Israel now controls key roads that link the north and the south. The central road is called the Salah al-Din, and there's a coastal road called Rashid. These are key avenues for civilians to leave northern Gaza. Israel has is called on civilians to leave the north, and many have fled the fighting. However, many remain. Uh, The humanitarian issue is a concern for the IDF's coordinator of government activities in the territories. They put out a video of one of its members giving a statement encouraging civilians to use a humanitarian corridor south. Uh, The week-long ground offensive had now achieved its initial aims. Cutting Gaza Strip into two pieces means the IDF can now concentrate on isolating Gaza City. This is where many Hamas tunnels are located and and also where key facilities such as Shifa Hospital are located. It is also where numerous rocket launchers are positioned to fire rockets north toward Tel Aviv, Ashdod and other areas. Over the last week in Sardat, I think that's that village that really got hit hard, we witnessed numerous rockets launched from areas near Gaza City illustrating that despite the idea of increasing encirclement, Hamas and other groups can still sustain their attacks. While Hamas continues to fire barrages of rockets, it generally reduces rocket fire to one or two barrages a day, generally after nightfall and aimed at central Israel. How are we doing on this article? Almost done, I think. Uh, let's see, where was I? Oh, as the IDF settles in and gets to know their areas of operations in Gaza, they have used the time to uncover terrorist infrastructure. Some of this has been struck from the air in the past month, including 11,000 targets struck between 7 October and 1 November. However, many launch sites and tunnels evade these strikes. During activity by a team of soldiers from the 460th Brigade to locate terrorist infrastructure, rocket pits were found by the soldiers in a mosque and were destroyed, the IDF said on Monday. Yesterday, targets continue to be struck from the air, including 450 strikes alone between 5 and 6 November. But there are now more strikes on the ground using artillery and tanks and close coordination between ground and air forces. Uh, For instance, IDF Chief of Staff uh, Halavi praised the F-35 squadron for carrying out a strike within 200 meters of ground forces. 200 meters of ground forces. Wow. We haven't done this before with the heavy armament. Very good communication between what the force needs and what the jet needs, needs to know to provide and this connection of air and ground together, we always knew it was strong. We see it as much stronger than we thought, Halabi said in a statement, 200 meters. Uh, the Minister of Defense, Gallant, approved additional plans on Monday, yesterday, in an effort to continue to eliminate Hamas company commanders and battalion commanders. The IDF claims to have killed 12 Hamas battalion commanders prior to 4 November. That's in the story. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, Here's the next story. The big, I think it's from 7 November. Yep. Today, Times of Israel, Emmanuel Fabian. We've done stories from him before. Excuse me. Drinking water. Uh, Michael Bochner, Lazar Berman and Carrie Keller Lynn. One, two, three, four people. Uh, This is kind of based on the speech that uh, Prime Minister from Israel gave. IDF tightening noose around Hamas in Gaza City. PM, no truce before hostages freed. He kind of doubled down on that in his speech, basically. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said on Tuesday, today, the IDF is reaching deeper into Gaza than Hamas ever imagined and warned Lebanon's Hezbollah that it would be making the greatest mistake of its life if it opened a new full-on war front. Excuse me. His defense minister, Gallant, meanwhile, said the IDF was now operating in the heart of Gaza City and tightening the noose around Hamas there. Uh, speaking from the Kir- Kiria military headquarters in Tel Aviv, Netanyahu said he was addressing the nation and ordered up the, the Israelis on the war. In the South, is all quotes from him, In the South, the war is moving forward with a force that the Hamas has never seen. Gaza City is surrounded. We are operating within it. We are deepening the pressure on Hamas every hour. Every day, he said the thousands of terrorists have been eliminated both above ground and in a vast network of tunnels, including many of those who planned and carry out the slaughter on 7 October. He also said the ground operation had destroyed countless Hamas command centers, positions and tunnels that are believed to run for hundreds of kilometers under Gaza and are used by Hamas to move forces, store weapons and launch attacks on Israeli forces. Hamas is discovering that we are reaching places they thought we would never reach, he said. Uh, Netanyahu noted that Israeli Defense Force soldiers are learning lessons inside the strip and they are passing those lessons on to troops training in Israel ahead of their entry into Gaza. Smart. He also praised the troops' faith and determination to defend the country. In the north, Netanyahu said, the IDF is both defending and attacking he said that Israel will not expect, accept Hezbollah or Hamas in Lebanon, harming our communities and our citizens. We will respond with heavy fire to any of their attacks against us, he promised. If Hezbollah enters a war, Netanyahu said, then repeated, it will be the, making the greatest mistake of his life. Uh, regarding hostages held in Gaza, Netanyahu said he spoke with the president of Red Cross and demanded that it work to secure their immediate release. He also demanded that Red Cross visit hostages and establish their well-being, again, as international law requires. Uh, Here's another, obviously, another quote. There will will not be a ceasefire without return of our kidnap, Netanyahu stressed, delivering the declaration to our enemies and our friends alike. He also said no fuel will be allowed in the Strip before the hostages were freed. He added that the ground operation is a vital part of the effort to get the hostages home. Turning to the diplomatic front, Netanyahu said that Israel is working to give the IDF diplomatic room to maneuver. He said he's been telling foreign leaders that if Israel does not win, their countries could be attacked by Hamas-inspired terrorism next, but Israel will win, he promised. Jerusalem is facing diplomatic pressure to allow humanitarian pauses in the fighting, including from Washington, which has steadfastly backed Israel's right to defend itself following Hamas' assault. Give credit where credit is due. They are in a lot of pressure, the United States is, and Israel, uh, to do a humanitarian pause. But moving on, uh, Netanyahu noted that he speaks with President Biden regularly and appreciates the support from the White House and from the American people. He vowed that Israel will destroy Hamas's military and government's capabilities. Gaza will never constitute a threat to Israel. Well, no longer, I'm sorry. Uh, Netanyahu again called on the Gazan population to move south. Uh, He quote, you are doing it, already doing it, complete it because we will not stop. The Israel military campaign is mostly focused on the northern Gaza Strip, where Hamas has key assets. Israel is urging Gazans to head south of the enclave and thousands did on Tuesday, many of them waving white flags passing through an evacuation corridor set up by the IDF. They have joined an estimated 800,000 who have already migrated. How Much more, a little bit more. It's a long article, but I'm almost done. Uh, The IDF operation in Gaza, he said, is an incredible success. I'm telling you, the Americans are here. They came and explained what happened at Fallujah. They are astounded by our achievements. Of course, there are painful losses, but overall, the success is phenomenal. United States military advisors are in Israel to offer their help, which includes experiences gained in Iraq, and in particular, the town of Fallujah, where the U.S. fought major battles against insurgents in 2004. Since the start of the ground operation, 30 IDF soldiers have been killed in Gaza. Uh, the IDF said on Tuesday today it uncovered more tunnels in northern Gaza Strip near a Ferris wheel and a university. Both tunnels were, tunnels were later destroyed. In the same area as the university, a weapons depot was found. The IDF said troops recovered chemical substances. Assault rifles, RPG, mines, and other equipment. Uh, troops came under fire from gunmen inside a mosque, an airstrike was called to take out the Hamas operatives as they fled, as they tried to flee into a tunnel. Let's see what else. In a separate incidents, the IDF said Hamas launched an anti tank guided missile at troops from several locations, including adjacent to hospitals. It said a helicopter provided suppressive fire to extract the troops. Uh, In his daily briefing, Tuesday evening, IDF spokesman rear-admiral Daniel Hagari said that there will be no ceasefires. Military pushes forward with the ground offensive. Hamas terrorists, here's a quote, Hamas terrorists tell themselves there will be a ceasefire. There won't be one. We are moving forward. Uh, Hagari said the IDF struck more than 14,000 targets in Gaza, destroyed more than 100 tunnel entrances, and captured more than 4,000 weapons, including rockets. Uh, United States President Joe Biden, meanwhile, on Tuesday, confirmed to reporters during a phone call with Netanyahu a day earlier that he asked Israel to pause the fighting in Gaza against Hamas. Also on Tuesday, United States and Israeli officials told the Times of Israel that Israel opposes the U.S. push for humanitarian pauses in Gaza that aren't preceded by Hamas agreeing to release hostages. Uh, According to Israeli estimates, Hamas currently holds Around 180 hostages, Palestinian Islamic Jihad holds roughly 40 hostages and an unaffiliated mob families are believed to hold an additional 20, which are complicating negotiations significantly. Uh, That's about 240 hostages. Okay, that's in the story. Long, long article, but it kind of gives you an idea if you didn't know what uh, the leadership in Israel is thinking. Uh, it sounds like the IDF is taking care of business in Gaza. Uh, let's see what else. Do I want to? What am I doing on the time? 23 minutes. I'm doing better than I thought. Uh, this is from Bloomberg, Anthony Capaccio, and Jennifer Jacobs. We just did a story from him. It's kind of a funding story. I thought about not doing it because it's not approved funding, but it lets you know at least what the House of Representatives are thinking. Uh, so Biden's military requests from Israel would double Iron Dome arsenal. Uh, funds include 100 Iron Dome launchers and 14,000 interceptors. $4 billion for missiles likely boon for Rafael and RTX. Of course, RTX is Raytheon. The Biden administration's $14 billion aid request for Israel would significantly expand missile defenses, including new Iron Dome launchers, equivalent to more than twice the current deployment, and nearly double the amount U.S. spends on systems. Uh, This is the $14 billion that uh, President Biden wants. The package includes funds to build up to 100 more Iron Dome launchers and at least uh, 14,000 Tamir interceptors, according to U.S. officials who asked not to be identified. Currently, 10 existing Iron Dome batteries include 3 to 4 launchers, 20 Tamir missiles, and battlefield radar. Uh, at three to four launchers per battery, that would conservatively be 25 new batteries. That's from CSIS if uh, they add more of these interceptors. Uh, as for comment, a spokesperson for, uh, for the embassy, Israeli embassy in the United States, said the government does not comment on matters related to foreign military assistance. Uh, this package, if approved, is a boon to Israel state-owned Rafael Advanced Defense Systems, as well as RTX, which is Raytheon. Uh, the boost in missile defense also adds to Washington's lethal and non-lethal assistant to Israel that so far includes Boeing's smart bombs, hostage location advice from U.S. Special Operations Command, and regional insights from the Defense Intelligence Agency. In a statement, the Pentagon confirmed that the four, the, that $4 billion, uh, requested muni- will go to munitions procurement, $3 billion will go for Iron Dome. And $1 billion will go for David Sling. Uh, of course, that's an air defense system. The $1 billion for David Sling would buy as many as 650 stunner interceptors and associated equipment. So here's, that's why I thought about not doing the story. I did it, obviously. Uh, the fate of the $14 billion aid requests for Israel is unclear. More BS politics, of course. Republicans in the House, led by Speaker Mike Johnson, have sought to break out the funds for Israel. From President Joe Biden's original request, which has support in the Democratic-controlled Senate, that White House proposal included funds for Taiwan and Ukraine. And I think, I think I remember reading this. So, what I think President Biden wanted money for Israel. The House said, "Yeah, we'll give you money for Israel. Here it is." But I think they wanted to wrap it up. The president was thinking, "Well, let's wrap 14 for Israel and X amount for Ukraine and X amount for Taiwan and X amount for the border." Um, which is I think what the Senate wanted, and the House is now nah, we 're not doing that we 're just gonna we're gonna separate it. you know that the Ukraine's ukraine that taiwan 's Taiwan, the border's the border, and israel 's Israel. you know you want this much for israel we 'll give you this much for israel, but Israel by itself we're not gonna package it all up, and I think there's heat between the Senate and the House on that, so I probably wasted my time doing this article all right twenty seven minutes Oh, yeah, two more stories. We're all right. Uh, so, this is from Breaking Defense, Ashley Roquet. Haven't done a story from her in a while. This is about the Iron Dome. Uh, we might be covering old ground if you follow this program. We talk about the Iron Dome all the time. Um, and you'll know why in a minute. We're going to cover it again. But, just kind of gives you the status of the Iron Dome. So, here we go. Because, you know, the U.S. Army bought two, two systems. And now we're sending them back to Israel because for better or for worse, the army didn't want to use it, couldn't use it, decided not to use it. It wasn't what they wanted. Congress made them buy it, so they bought it. Now they really got an excuse to send it back to Israel. So so it's probably, the army's probably very happy about this because now they don't have to use it. But anyway, here we go. Iron Dome batteries on 11-month lease with, with Israel could be extended. Uh, Ashley Roque, 7 November. The U.S. Army's two Iron Dome batteries are still in transit to Israel, according a senior service official. And it seems the Army isn't expecting them to come back soon. The deal with Israel was done under cost to lease under a foreign military sales case. And it was the fastest way to get Israel the Iron Dome batteries and the missiles. That's from our friend, the Honorable Doug Bush. He told reporters that today providing the more detailed explanation that the service had given since it announced plans to ship the two batteries to Israel in wake of the 7th October by Hamas. Uh, Here's a quote from Mr. Bush. For now, that deal is 11 months and it involves a small amount of money with payback to be determined. However, that arrangement could be extended depending on factors on the ground. That was the fastest way to do it, and that's why we went that way, uh, Bush said. And a little bit of background on the batteries and we'll be done. Uh, After the Hamas attack, Washington began sending Israel military aid packages, including Tamir interceptors for the Iron Dome, to use against incoming rockets. Then late last month, the Pentagon announced it would also ship the the armies only two Iron Dome batteries back to Israel. Uh, While those two batteries are bound for a new temporary home, there has been dissent within the army about their fate for years. And she's going to kind of fill us in in one paragraph on what that uh, dissent is. Uh, Army leaders bought the pair of batteries following a congressional mandate to acquire an interim air defense capability. Why? Because Congress didn't feel the army was moving fast enough on developing a new air defense system, particularly for Guam. Uh, However, the service officials have raised cyber concerns about integrating the Israeli made batteries into a larger air defense architecture and opted to pick Instead, Dianetics Enduring Shield paired with Raytheon's ground-launch AIM-9X Sidewinder missile for its Indirect Fire Protection Capability Increment 2 program in 2021. That's a heck of a sentence. The Indirect Fire Protection Capability Increment 2 IFPC, that is the Army's modernization for air and missile defense. And because the Army was not doing moving out, as quickly as Congress wanted, they said, we'll buy something that works like the Iron Dome. So they kind of ordered the Army to do it. This was all happening during uh, the time that uh, North Korea was threatening Guam and stuff like that. I think that's why it's kind of like the perfect storm. Anyway, uh, as for the Iron Dome, one battery was tested in Guam, but the two systems have been largely largely held at Joint Base lewis McCord in Washington, also known as Fort Lewis at one time, where units there were turned were learned— we're trained on how to use them. So anyway, everything we need to know is they're on the way back to Israel. Will they come back to the United States? My bet is no. <laughs> I don't think you'll see those back. I don't think so. Uh, but what do I know? All right, here we go. One more story. This is a kind of a, a good story. This is uh, U.S. Air Force may remove the 105-millimeter cannon from AC-130 AC gunship. Uh, this is from Stephen Losey Defense News. I think it's today. I don't know. I forgot to write the date down. I apologize. But everybody knows the uh AC-130 gunship. It's got it's just a it's a monster. But they're talking about removing the 105 cannon from it. So here we go. The days of the AC AC-130J, Ghost Riders, hefty 105mm cannon may be numbered. United States Air Force Special Operations Command. Uh confirmed to defense news is considering removing the howitzer-sized weapon from the aircraft as early as 2026. Uh, That's in two years. Uh, Let's see. The command is also eyeing other changes to the Ghost Rider, including addition of small cruise missiles for standoff strikes, an advanced active electronically scanned array radar for improved tracking of ground targets, and a series of communication and networking upgrades to better tie into the joint forces command and control networks. The service hasn't made a final decision on the fate of the one Oh five millimeter cannon. And what, if anything will replace it. Uh, The official noted that commanding that's from an official. Okay. Uh, The official noted that command does not have the procurement funds to remove the cannon and to either patch up the hole or replace the weapon. Meaning the gun wouldn't get pulled off until 2026 at the earliest. A spokesperson for the House Armed Service Committee, majority staff declined to comment on the potential gunship changes under consideration. Uh, However, a source in the gunship community who spoke to Defense News on condition of anonymity, because he was not authorized to talk to the press, said that AFSOC, which is Air Force Special Operations Command, has all but decided to remove the 105mm cannon. The source added that removing the massive cannon from the plane's left side would create an imbalance imbalance in the aircraft's center of gravity, among other structural issues. The price tag to remove the weapon and fix the airframe across the fleet would likely be in millions of dollars, he explained. Uh, here's a quote. When you cut a hole in that airplane, it's a major structural intrusion. You just can't yank the gun out and fly around with the hole. You've got to redesign the fuselage where it was cut out. Uh, John Venable, a former F-16 pilot and senior defense fellow at the Heritage Foundation, told Defense News the AC-130J would not survive a war against China and that the command is right to rethink its mission. However, the command should leave the 105 gun in place on a portion of the fleet to conduct missions in permissive environments like the Middle East. This is a significant move he said in a high intensity fight where you've got air to air threats and long range surface to air missiles it would be relegated to a position much like the E-8 J-Stars and much like the E-3 Sentry AWACS to where it would be almost combat ineffective in its current role but we still need AC-130s to fly top cover in Africa the same thing for our troops in Syria AFSOC has ruled out replacing the cannon with a high-energy laser currently undergoing test and once considered for the AC-130J. Another Air Force official, speaking on the condition of anonymity, in order to speak freely, explained that placing a laser where the 105mm gun is now would create so much air turbulence that it would upstate the laser's beam. And that official threw cold water on the idea of any AC-130J going into battle armed with a laser. Uh, Let's see, almost done here. So AC-130J is the fourth and latest version of the gunship series, sometimes nicknamed Angel of Death, for its withering amount of firepower. The Ghost Rider arrived at AFSOC in 2016. It reached IOC the following year. 2017 is a heavily modified version of the Lockheed Martin-made C-130J, outfitted with two cannons, 130-millimeter cannon that can fire up to 200 rounds per minute alongside the 105-millimeter weapon and the ability to carry precision-guided munitions such as AGM-176 Griffin, AGM-114 Hellfire, GBU-39 small-diameter bomb, and GBU-69 small-glide munition. Both cannons are mounted on the left of the AC-130J, and the aircraft is typically meant to fly counterclockwise loops over the target area, sometimes for hours, as gunners pound the enemy positions. But the Pentagon has been slowly dialing the Dialing back the scope, it originally planned for the Ghost Rider, each of which cost $165 million. AFSOC originally wants a fleet of 37 Ghost Riders to replace the now-retired AC-130 Specters, but last year cut procurement off at 30, so they only have 30 of them. Uh, AFSOC said it isn't planning to reduce further amount of AC-130J, so 30 is what they're going to stick with. Now, the article kind of continues on, gets in more detail on some of the munitions they want to put on there, but uh, I didn't go into it. So if you want to read the article, go more into it. It's from Defense News, Stephen Losey, U.S. Air Force may remove 105 millimeter cannon from AC-130 gunship. Good good article. That's it, man, 36 minutes. Hmm, I suspected it was going to go long. No, that's not true. I had no idea how long this thing was going to last. 36 minutes, a little bit longer than I thought, but not too bad, right? I can't find my pen still. There it is. I guess that's it. Episode 189 is in the books. I'll try to get it done and post it tonight. Thank you very much for listening, and good night.